you are pure, and you are uh, one that is intimately concerned with our lives. Lord, we're asking today that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law, Lord, in the Bible, in your word. We're asking today, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes spiritually to see and our ears to hear what you're saying and what you're doing and inspire us to love you more, God, and to love others more in the name of Jesus to be made known more clearly and effectively. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, community of faith. Good to be with you. Thank you, Susan. I, I felt a specific uh, encouragement from you there. It's wonderful to be here today. It is a joy uh, to be in God's presence. You liking this fall weather? Yay, nay. I'm having a hard time letting go. I know some of you. Uh, but it's, it's a joy. Uh, it's a new season, new beginning. And I want to welcome you today to Community of Faith. We're in the sixth week of our We Are series. And... Uh, in this series, we're discussing uh, our seven key values at Community of Faith and uh, how these values uh, define us. Once again, I've said this before, they don't limit us, but they define us and they distinguish us. They, they are things that we'd say, yes, this is what we have to offer the body of Christ in our city. This is what we have to offer the church, what we have to offer those uh, in our city who don't know Jesus. And I want to say welcome to each and every one of you today. If you've been here a thousand times or this is your first time today, welcome home. We hope that is what you feel. Um, today, we're going to be talking under the, uh, under the uh, proclaiming Jesus portion of our mission statement. And we are going to be talking about taking risks to make Jesus known. <laughs> All right. It's exciting. Well, a little bit over a decade ago, a dear friend of mine, his name is Chaz, uh, Charles. He, he went by Chaz, uh, and he still goes by it. He is actually one taking a risk in, uh, um, in the northern part of Afghanistan for Jesus even today. But anyway, uh, a little bit over a decade ago, we, we, we had a lot of fun. We would... We would um, we were in ministry together and such, and we decided to do something kind of crazy, a little bit crazy. We said, "Hey, why don't we go on a vacation in in the Southwest? That's not so crazy. Uh, why don't we go near your town, Chaz, of Phoenix?" Um, and uh, <clears throat> and this is where it gets a little strange because if you know me, um, the fireside kind of guy, you know what I'm saying. I'm not really the outdoors type so much, though I do it. We said, hey, why don't we go to the Grand Canyon and hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and camp and just soak it up and enjoy it. And um, for some reason, nobody wise enough in our lives spoke to us and said, you can't do this. You're stupid. You know, I mean, well, anyway, we uh, <clears throat> so we we planned this trip out. We were going to watch uh, a professional baseball game there in, in Phoenix. I guess it was the Diamondbacks. And we were going to do a few other things. And, and we went camping. So we went. We drove our car up. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon out there? It is a Grand Canyon. It's as good as advertised to me. Anyway, we got there. And uh, uh, so we were planning on hiking down, camping, and then coming back up. Hopefully. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so 
we went up to the counter, you know, we're like, we'd like uh, one ticket to um, a campsite down at the bottom of South Kaibab. I don't know if any of you have, have uh, hiked on that particular trail, but that's the well-known trail, Phantom Ranch, all of it, you know, we were, <laughs> so we, they said, uh, sorry, this week we don't have that particular trail available. We do, however, many, you know, miles away have a lesser known trail called the Hermit Trail. Now, you better watch out when they say Hermit Trail. Anyway, they said, we do have the Hermit Trail available tomorrow night if you want to hike down there, but it's not marked as well. <laughs> oh, golly. So like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So we get a, we get a parking, not parking. We get a camping permit. You have to have one of those down there. There's not too many spots down there. There's a lot of spots, but not too many. And we got down there. Oh, I'm sorry. So we decided, okay, hey, we got a day. Well, let's just hike down for an hour and back up and on um, the South Kaibab trail and just get a little taste, you know, get the juices flowing. Woo! All right. So we go down and we come back up. I mean, an hour later, we're just, <gasps> you know, I mean, we had just trekked it down, trekked it back up. And then, and then we read a sign which says, most people that die in the Grand Canary are young men uh, that, that are not as, not prepared and, uh, you know, overzealous. And we're like, Oh my goodness, that's us. We're dead. Anyway, so we realized, you know what? We don't know what we're doing. And we're going to hike a long way tomorrow on, on the Hermit Trail. So we're a little bit nervous and we go the next day to, um, no, not the next day. That night we go to the uh, country store, you know, and uh, we <laughs> we start buying stuff, you know, I mean, who knows what it was, you know, meals ready to eat, uh, other things. We thought we had packed, but we got a bunch of stuff and we decided to buy a book on hiking a little bit late, but we said, you know what? We better figure this thing out. You know, <clears throat> they said, die. They said, die. People die on this trail. I'm getting a book. Anyway, so we read this book, you know, and become all of a sudden experts on this. <clears throat> and so we start out, we drive and, and to the Hermit Trail. And um, I didn't see any hermits there. But uh, we, we, we walk down, we begin walking. So going down is it's painful on your toes, but it's not too bad. But seven and a half or eight hours later, you know, you have to carry your water because... Yeah, it's, you know, you have to either purify it or carry it. So we get down seven and a half hours or eight hours later, we're down at the bottom of the canyon, a little bit longer than that. And we're like, man, glad that's over. Then you look up, you're like, oh no, we've got to go back up this thing. Well, anyway, so we're down there and, and all these professional, well, not all these, there's only two or three other kind of, uh, little, uh, uh, campsites there. And we're, you know, we're the goofballs. We're like, Hey guys, do you come camping down here? All the, and they're, they know, wow, you don't have a tent. That's really cool. And they're, these people are bothered that someone of our ilk would come down their same trail. But anyway, so we spent the night or we, we went, uh, spent the night, went the next day, saw the Colorado river, beautiful rafts going by and all this, but we knew something was looming, right? It's called the hike out of this Canyon and people die. Remember the sign people die. If we don't have water, if we get lost. So we're hiking up the trail. Oh, so, so we're so afraid we get up at three 30 in the morning, you know, I mean, pitch dark, 3.30, we're packing up our bags and all of this, and we start heading on the trail, you know, about 3.30 in the morning, and we hike and hike, and then 
they, they have these little, uh, what are the, you know, the rocks are kind of like a triangle formation on the, uh, uh, when you're supposed to, you know, take a hitch or whatever you want to say, going back and forth, a switch going back and forth. And we missed one. So we're standing on the side of the mountain. All of a sudden, you know, we're getting snippy at each other and we're nervous and we thought we were lost on the side of the canyon, going to die. Well, we prayed. We repented. Uh, we, we called out to God. Anyway, he helped us make it all the way up to uh, the top. By the end, I mean, it's just... Mm. Anyway, we finally made it up to the top of the canyon, exhausted. You know, we're driving away, and I'm like, Chaz, man, look at that. We did. He's like, I don't want to see that thing ever again. You know, we're just driving out. And um, so we took a risk, a silly, silly risk. I mean ridiculous for us, but now we got a story to tell about it, and uh, we'll tell it a lot better if you had more time, or worse, in your estimation. We took a risk, and uh, it paid off <laughs> with a good story and good memories. It could have not paid off, and we could have been on the side of the mountain uh, dead, as the sign said. But, you know, people take risks for many, many reasons, right? And... Um, They'll jump out of a plane with a parachute just to get the thrill of it. Anybody out there done that? Okay, you're more thrilling than I am. Uh, jumping out with a parachute, do crazy things on, on game shows or reality. I've seen people eat some weird stuff in order to take a risk to, to get money and, you know, doing um, people doing crazy things in risks. People also take risks maybe for a political cause. Or a, uh, you know, a military cause. There's a huge risk that's taken, but people take them for different reasons. What I want to talk about today, though, is taking a risk that's built upon the risks that have already been taken over the history of faith that we see here in the Bible. Taking of risks that really matter. And these are the kind of risks I'm talking about. Risks that, um, uh, taking risks that will bring God's glory and bring men and women into contact that have never known Jesus into contact with Him. That's the risk that's really worth taking, and I hope that we'll see that today as we look. Today, we're going to look at four different key biblical figures and see the risks that they took, otherwise known as faith, right? One definition and spelling of, of faith is R-I-S-K, right? An obedient risk, but we're going to talk about that. Four, four uh, individuals in the Bible that risked for God. We're going to talk about what they risked, and we're going to ask the question, did it pay off or did it not? Hopefully we'll get some inspiration today. Remember, this is under the sixth uh, um, uh, uh, value that we have of taking risks to make Jesus known. Let's talk about this. First risk I want to talk about that we see in the Bible here. Uh, now, these aren't the only risks people have taken, and these aren't the only risks that these particular individuals took. But I'm going to take one particular thing out of each life and say this is a risk that they took, and we'll evaluate. Did the risk pay off, and what was the reward? And if it did, how can we be motivated to risk, to walk by faith ourselves? The first one is a, a locational risk. Let's look here. If you'd open your Bibles or if you want to look up a, uh, over me to Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 6. We're talking here about Abram. Abram and Abraham are the same man. 
But part of this risk is what gave him the name Abraham. He got renamed by God. But let's look at this. Let's look at Abram, the risk taker, the one who risked locationally for God. The Lord had said to Abraham, verse 1 of chapter 12, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went. Wow. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out from the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, this locational risk may or may not seem as much of a big deal to us in modern day <laughs> the modern-day world, where we might travel from state to state, even country to country, fairly easily. But I'm telling you, in Abram's day, uh, this risk locationally had everything to do with his identity, everything to do with his history, everything to do with everything for him. And um, God said, uh, God appears to Abraham when he's in the land of Ur. Say Ur. There you go. Just make sure you're awake. Ur of the Chaldeans. Basically, it's near where Babylon ultimately came. And it was between in Mesopotamia, between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Euphrates. That he was up in that little area. And God said, I want you to go out of that area. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. And go to... Well, no, he didn't say go to Ur. He was in Ur. God said, go where I'll show you. Darn. <laughs> You're not going to tell me where I'm going? I'm walking. You know, how about that one? You know, I'm moving. Where are you going? I'm going where God will tell me. Sometimes we might use that as an excuse for things. But he was shaken in his boots, I'm certain, when God spoke to Abram and said, go, leave everything you know, take a locational risk, and I'll bless you. Well, that's called faith. That's a risk. Whenever God speaks into your life, he, and when He challenges you to some level of obedience, whatever it may be, that is a risk you take as to whether to believe His character and to believe His Word. And the more risks, opportunities of faith that you take, then, then you, you build a track record with God. And, and you see his faithfulness, you're able to take bigger ones. Anyway, so Abram took a locational risk. Okay? Let's look here. At a vocational risk. Okay? Daniel. We're going to look here at Daniel, the risk taker. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 and uh, on. Uh, several other verses through 15. Follow with me here. We're going to look at Daniel. Then the king, that's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, 
The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These guys ultimately became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But Daniel, but Daniel resolved. Say the word resolved resolved. You need it in order to take a risk to make God known. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables and we, and, and only water to drink. Then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. It's very interesting to me, by the way, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years separating Abram, the man who took a risk, Right? who went from Ur of the Chaldeans to the place that would become Israel. But hundreds and hundreds of years later, because people stopped taking a risk on God, the Israelites, and I don't have time to go into all of it right now, guess what? They're all the way back in Ur. What's Babylon? That's Ur of the Chaldeans, right there. Because they stopped taking risks, they went back into the bondage and back into the place where they, God had already called them out of. I just thought that was interesting. That's free for you today. But Daniel was a young man, maybe 17. Uh, I don't know exactly how old, but somebody was investing in Daniel. He had it right. He knew God and he knew what would defile. So, but Daniel took a vocational risk. What do you mean vocational risk? His neck was on the line for this thing. He was a royal son of Judah and King Nebuchadnezzar who flew off the handle quite a bit. As a child, I played Nebuchadnezzar in a play once when I was about fourth grade. I had cotton ball beard and I was, you know, it was called 100% chance of rain. My mom rused the day she ever let me play Nebuchadnezzar. I was a d- disaster for the next six months. But anyway, Nebuchadnezzar would fly off the handle left and right. I mean, he, he'd say, uh, by the way, I don't like that. Let's just... Just uh, pull a beam from your house and impale you on it. That means make you just a little bit of a shish kebab, right? He, he, was, he was a wild man. He was dangerous. And Daniel is being compared with the rest of these men, right? Daniel and his friends with the rest of these men who who are getting the delicacies from the king's table. It's like the football players that are, you know, they're getting the steaks. They're getting all the good stuff, right? And Daniel wouldn't. He took a vocational risk. His job was on the line as an advisor. His job was absolutely on the line. (laughs) And if he came out looking peaked, uh, he would uh, not fare too well. But anyway, why did he not resolve himself? Why did he not? Why did he resolve himself not to defile himself? What's wrong with a little steak? I've never found any problem with it. I like steak. I like, well, very likely two reasons. One is that this food had been sacrificed to idols, right? And it was disobedience to God. And, and if Daniel knew it, he, he knew in his 
uh, as, as a Jew and as one that was um, set apart, sanctified for God, he wouldn't do it. Also, it had to do with the Jewish dietary laws. Certainly some of this m- might have very well been uh, pork or some other item which was restricted by Daniel. Daniel said, but I'm guaranteeing you he's looking around going, oh man, if, if I mess up on this one, it could be my neck. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's not in a good mood. He just, he just burnt down their city and took them. So he took a vocational risk. Daniel said, okay, I know what's going on, but I'm going to say, no. I resolve not to defile myself. I'm not going to live like the rest of the people around me. The rest of the world can lie, cheat, and steal. The rest of the world can do this. It's, it makes me nervous. Risk, right? But I'm going to do it. Okay, there's the second one. So who do, what what Abram take? Abram took a locational risk. He took many other risks along the way, but that's the one we're focusing on today. What did Daniel take? He took a vocational risk. He took a risk on his job. What was headed uh, to him? How about this? I'm about to (laughs) get really, really excited about Jesus. I, I am. And the reason is because through his word, I come to know him and it thrills me because I'm about to talk about him and I don't talk about him lightly. He's my king. He's my Lord. He's everything to me. Let's go on, though, and talk about him. Jesus, man, did he risk it. He risked everything, but he risked positionally. Jesus risked positionally. And I'm grateful for it. Why don't you just say thank you, Jesus, out there today? Thank you, Jesus. You were willing to risk positionally. Well, he had a bit of position. How about the king of all kings? How about the Lord of glory that at his voice... With the Father, everything was created. That's a bit of position right there. (laughs) But anyway, let's look at this. Let's look at the Lord Jesus, the ultimate risk taker, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Paul speaking to a people that he is challenging not to live in a worldly manner, the Corinthians, who had dealt, they were in a very worldly, um, um, vile culture, actually. He's calling them out and he's saying, live like Jesus does. And this is what he says. He says, for you, Corinthians, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ today? I pray you'd get to know it more as a result of this sermon. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. I mean, you want to talk about rich. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. You want to talk about poor. (laughs) So that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. There's no one in all of history more rich. There's no one in all history that has been made more poor. And there's no one in history that's back to being all rich. And we can come with him now. Praise his holy name. Jesus took the ultimate risk by leaving his position at the right hand of the Father. You see, Jesus didn't have to come to earth. Jesus chose to come to earth. God could, in every right way, have done away with the human race in His righteousness and said, they disobeyed me. And because Adam and Eve sinned, those that were born into Adam and Eve were born into sin. And you don't have to teach a child how to sin. It is an inborn thing. God could have left us. But God, the God of all the universe, Jesus, seated on the throne, said, Father, I will go for your glory and for their souls. I will bring them back to you. Jesus said, I'm going to lay all of this. What did Jesus have as riches? He had all of heaven. He had all of heaven worshiping him. 
He was already God, but he chose to risk positionally every single thing that he had. And um, he humbled himself and took the position of a servant. We have no idea, but hopefully we can gaze a little bit into that today, of the humility it took for Jesus to become a man. Of God, the creator of the universe, to become a man. And not only that, as it says in Philippians 2 and continues on, not only was he made a man, but after that, he humbled himself again. He humbled himself to become a man, but then he humbled himself as a man. And he humbled himself and he was obedient to what? To death on the cross. Not just the physical beatings, not just the physical bruisings, not just the spittings that people did into his face. Not just the beating with a rod on his head that, that the soldiers... Not just that, but a turning away of God from Him, the Father, from, for, for a period. And all of the wrath of God for our sins being put upon Jesus. Everything we deserve to punishment burning into Him. And Him taking that punishment. Man, there's no poorer place to be. But He has returned to His riches <laughs> with us in tow. <laughs> Praise His name. Well, anyway... I'm going to just repeat a moment, if you're okay. Abram risked locationally. Daniel risked vocationally. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, risked positionally. And let's look at one more. I mean, we could just stop there, but we're going to continue. <laughs> let's look at the... Apostle Paul, who came after Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. And we'll look at Paul. Paul was a man that was a religious man, but he was not God's man until he became God's man on the road to Damascus. Do you know where Damascus is today? It's right in the middle of your headlines. Syria. Syria, right in Damascus. Paul's on the road to Damascus to arrest and imprison believers in Jesus. And he's on the way, the light comes from heaven, and Jesus says, Paul, Saul at that time, why are you persecuting me? And Paul realized the error of his way, that in his religious ways, he had failed to submit himself to the love and, and goodness of God. He had thought that it was all about him being good enough for God. He had thought it was all about keeping the rules, but he didn't realize it was about loving God with all of his heart and being loved by the God who had died and risen again for him. Anyway, Paul was called by God and in a most radical way. He risked. He took a security risk. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. For it seems to me, Paul speaking of himself and the others that are preaching Jesus with him, that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in an arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we are cursed. We bless, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. When we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Man. This is coming from a guy who had everything. Paul had it all. He was respected. 
He was one of the most respected Pharisees, religious men of his day. He had all the comforts that that afforded. And believe you me, that's why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees so much. They indulged in their own comforts. You see, but Paul risked his security and comfort so that Jesus could be known to the Roman world. Paul said, I'm Jesus, I was persecuting you, but I'm not persecuting you anymore. You know, it only takes one step to be from being against Jesus, right? You're against him to being right with him. <laughs> Just surrender to him. Just surrender to Jesus. That's what Paul said. He said, I've been against you and I didn't know it. I'm with you now, Jesus. You know how long it took Paul to start preaching Jesus? About three seconds. Well, three days later, his eyes were healed and then he was preaching. He didn't have to go to seminary to preach. Please go to seminary if God's telling you, but please preach before you get there or you're not going to understand seminary. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I, I digressed to someone who did not have spiritual understanding. What Paul did was foolishness. You are risking every security you have as a Pharisee. I'm sure he had a pretty good Pharisee pension. I don't know what their pension was. It wasn't a 401. It was an 801K. I don't know what it was, but it was something he had lined up for himself. And he said, well, Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3. He said, all these things I've considered it loss. Dung. You know what dung is? There's beetles that eat that stuff. And dung. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. I just, I just, my mind works too fast sometimes. <laughs> you know what dung is, so we're going on. It's poo-poo. All right. <clears throat> but you know, uh, Paul risked everything. He took a security risk for God. So here's the question for us today. Well, they took risks. Was it worth it? Well, let me answer a couple of those very quickly for you here. Is that okay? All right. <laughs> oh, praise you, God. The risk was worth it for Abram, who became Abraham. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. As a result of Abram's locational risk, he found a home for God's people for generations. He risked his own home so that they could have a home in God. The people of Israel came out of that decision. The land of Canaan became Israel, where God said to Abram, this will be yours. He took a locational risk. He said, I'm not going to hold on. You see, that's the part. The good news of Jesus will never advance unless someone takes a risk. His, home, his kingdom would not have advanced without a risk. But Jesus risked it all for us. Do, just take any risk? No. Hear and obey. Well, obedience is risk taking. When you take, when God tells you to do something, when He tells you to do something, you do it. You don't say, let's look at the 53 reasons why this might not be a good idea, God. We learn in His Word to obey. So He brought grace and comfort because He refused to stay in His comfort zone. He brought comfort to many, He brought a place of belonging for many. We're all looking for a place of belonging, aren't we? I hope you find that here. I hope you do find a sense of that. But in one sense, in our souls, unless we're willing to risk our own, we'll never find that sense of belonging. If it's always about me, I've got to belong. Everybody's got to belong to me. Everybody's got to treat me. If it's all about me, then there's not that place. But the place we say, I risk it, and then others belong. You know that you belong here if you belong here because a few crazy 
Texans took a risk 15 years ago to come up here. I'm I'm sure you would have found another congregation and, and God would have blessed you. I'm not saying that. But there's some things you're experiencing here because someone took a risk. Well, the risk was worth it for Daniel. <laughs> uh, by the way, none of these folks regret their risk now. <laughs> and you won't either if you risk for God. As C.T. Studd, who is an evangelist and missionary in Africa, uh, he said, I want to be a gambler for God. Everybody else is gambling on stuff. I'm going to go for God. The risk was worth it for Daniel. Because of Daniel, a mere teenager, you might say today, well, I'm just a college student. Well, you're just awesome if you're of Jesus. I mean, you're awesome if you're not of Jesus. He says you're awesome, but he brings you to himself. And there's awesome power living in you to to change the world. Um, But he was a mere teenager. He took a vocational risk not to eat of the king's food, right? Out of reverence and love for God. God was able to use him because he took that risk and laid it down. God was able to use him for four, at least four kings and kingdoms. Daniel keeps appearing by the time we read it like he's, you know, 20 seconds later. But no, this is years, decades and decades when Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall. You ever heard that saying that comes from Belshazzar, the the grandson, as some would say. Uh, We're not quite sure how many levels down um, of Nebuchadnezzar. There's a handwriting on the wall and they're like. There's some guy, Daniel, that used to do that. How many years went by? But after decade, after decade, after decade, he had a vocational bonanza because he chose to risk it for God. You see, in our own lives, do you see people cutting corners at your workplace? Oh, you better not. Take that vocational risk to honor God in your workplace. Take that vocational risk because then you're going to be changing lives left and right. Oh, no, I've blown it. Well, you know what? It only takes one moment to repent and ask God to cleanse you to start living a new way. Daniel took a vocational risk. Let's talk about this. Uh, The risk, was it worth it for Jesus? Are you kidding me? That risk is worth it. You know why it's worth it? It's God is glorified. Okay, let's let's remember it's not just about man, but Every nation, every tribe, every people, Jesus will have worshiping with him. Not just worshiping him. He'll be out there with us. He'll be wiping the tears off our eyes. Saying, nobody else saw it. I saw it. He'll be with us forever. Every nation and tribe, billions of people into his kingdom. It was worth it for Jesus to take that risk. Because he was willing to take a positional risk and become nothing so to speak, then we become those that receive Jesus, those who have everything. We are seated with Christ. We are seated with Christ. We are His sons and His daughters. We're not just servants, Jesus said. I called you friends. The risk was worth it for Paul because Paul was a man of privilege and security. He took a risk of his security and comfort. God was able to use him to to reach the entire Roman world. Every person here? No, but every person had an opportunity to hear because Paul lived risking everything for God. In the like manner, when we as believers risk our securities and comforts by, by doing what God tells us to do, going wherever, whenever, however He says to do it, it'll make a way for other people. The good news of Jesus being advanced in the lives of people who don't know Him always involves someone taking a risk. We've talked about four different people throughout the Bible that took a risk. 
And that risk ultimately made Jesus known. Abram's risk became Israel, which became the church, which made Jesus known. Daniel's risk became uh, the, the Israelites surrendered to God. Daniel's risk ultimately gave him a revelation of the Lord Jesus and revealed Jesus to millions. When you read it today, it reveals Jesus. Daniel 9, 10, 11, 12, prophetic revelation of Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus reveals Jesus. <laughs> Nobody reveals Jesus better than Jesus. Father and the Holy Spirit along with the, the risk. Uh, Paul revealed Jesus through his life because he took that risk. I want to close with this. And the band can come up now. <sighs> to those of you who are new in your faith journey, I want to challenge you today to risk possible misunderstanding of those closest to you. I want you... To be willing, because Jesus died upon the cross to forgive you of your sins. This simple good news, this gospel message, you can talk to someone here about it. But I want to encourage you to risk your reputation because Jesus risked his whole reputation so you could be forgiven of every one of your sins. And um, to place your faith in Jesus. You say, is it difficult? No. Uh -uh. It's costly at times to follow Jesus, but the compensation way overwhelms it. It was difficult for Jesus so that it could be joyous for you <laughs> to receive him. That means you simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I, I throw myself in with I can't do enough good works to make myself right with you. I ask you to forgive me. I receive that death of yours on the cross in my place. And I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. I want to challenge you today if you don't have that relationship with Jesus to have it. To those of you who are already believers in Jesus, I challenge you to examine the areas of location, to examine the area of vocation, to examine the area of position, right? And how you hold your position or use it to serve. And to challenge you in that area of security and see if there's any area you haven't been willing to surrender to God. What would it look like if every one of us took that obedient risk that God asks of us to honor Him and make His name known? What if we willingly were willing to go anywhere, locationally, in any capacity, vocationally, to the richest of the rich or poorest of the poor, positionally, no matter what the inconvenience it may cause, security. God will do such a work in our midst that we will stand back amazed and be filled with joy. And someday when we see Jesus face to face, we'll enter His glorious kingdom with great joy and with no regrets. Let's stand and let's respond to God.